This is the Crescent Project, bringing you powerful teaching, testimony, and truth about God's miraculous movement in the Muslim world and how we as Christians can join Him in this kingdom work. I'm Matt Bonner, and I serve as a regional director with the Crescent Project, a national Christian ministry focused on equipping the church to share the gospel with Muslims. You can find us online at crescentproject.org. And welcome to Crescent Project Radio. Today we're excited to have on the show with us Neil Parolo, who is a longtime educator, ordained minister, and cross-cultural ministry leader of over 40 years. Neil has authored a number of books, essays, and articles focused on missions and reaching out cross-culturally. He's also the founder and director of Emmaus Road International, a ministry focused on equipping the church in cross-cultural missions and outreach. Uh, they specialize in providing resources for various Christian groups, whether it's a church or an agency or a college or even just individuals. And these resources are aimed to really just ignite and develop and, and expand the involvement in cross-cultural ministry, which is so needed today. What an awesome ministry. So we're excited to hear about this and, and, and get into this today. Uh, Neil, welcome to the program. Thanks for uh, Thanks for joining us on the show today. Well, it's our privilege to be with you. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks for your time. Today we're going to be talking about uh, talking with Neil about his new book, uh, "Internationals Who Live Among Us: Doing World Missions at Home." So great title and a great topic to talk about. And this is actually uh, Crescent Products Book of the Month right now. And uh, so you may have seen something about this uh, through email or on our website. And it's really fitting because uh, that that we get into this topic because um, June is World Refugee Month, and it's a time recognized by some. Uh, as uh, a time to honor and, and the courage of those who really have come here escaping persecution and conflict and a lot of times desperate poverty around the world. And, of course, I'm talking about refugees. But uh, I was just reading an item from World Relief that said that over the past 35 years, over 3 million refugees have settled here in the United States. The world has truly come here, Neil. This is, uh, this is exciting. And, uh, of course, this fact is clearly impacted you and your ministry, and you've been very aware of this. Uh, so let's jump right in. Uh, I want to ask you, uh, before we get into the book, I want to just uh, kind of give you a chance to share with us a little about you and, and about your passion for internationals and, and, and maybe just a bit about how God has led you in this direction. Well, thank you. Um, I went, my wife and I went on a short-term trip, and being an educator, a teacher, we visited the principal of a school for missionary children. And just on the spot there, I said, I could do that. And so uh, we were two years in teaching missionary kids and came home, started a Christian school. Then they had an emergency in uh, Brazil, and so we went back and we were principal of a Christian school for missionary kids and um, came home and directed a ministry school very involved in cross-culture. My fifth year there, we fielded 23 full-time missionaries from a student body of 95. Wow. Out of that, then, uh, our current ministry, Emmaus Road International, was birthed. And for the last 31 years, my wife and I have been on a wild ride of mobilizing the church, training the cross-cultural team, both those who go and those who serve as senders, and then networking them with ministries that are asking for help. Wow. Wow, that's a lot. And it sounds like it certainly has been an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, we could tell stories, but uh, let's get back into the book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I want to hear about that. So tell us about the basis for this book and how it came about. Internationals Who Live Among Us Doing World Missions at Home. Tell us about how this came about. Okay, you had mentioned that um, we wrote essays over a number of many years ago. We wrote a series of essays by that same title, Internationals Who Live Among Us. Mm. Um, and as more and more internationals have moved into my neighborhood, I decided it was time to mobilize the church, that they are here among us and we need to be doing world missions at home. Sure. Well, that's great. Absolutely. Uh, they absolutely are. And uh, as I mentioned before, there there are uh, a growing number of um, refugees and certainly the international students here. And it's an it's a amazing opportunity. Well, can you give the, the readers a sense of what you know they will encounter while reading your book? Yes. In the book, we identify seven different types of internationals who are living among us. Not seven different nationalities, but seven different types of internationals. You've been mentioning some international students, refugees, and um, five other types of internationals. And in the book, we um, bring a focus on each of these seven different types of internationals, some of the issues that they are facing as they live among us. And then our focus really is on the scores of practical ideas of how to minister the love of Christ to each of these groups. Mm. And, of course, it, the needs of each group is different from another. Right. And so uh, it's a very uh, varied uh, type of book that um, gives people opportunity with one if God calls them into that particular area or if he calls them into another area, there are those practical ideas of how to minister the love of Christ with them. Mm. Well, that sounds awesome. Now, I'm, I'm curious now, you got my interest here. I have not. I've not read the book yet. I haven't picked a copy yet because we've just oh, now. Oh come on! I know we've just now got it on our uh, got it on our list here and everything. Uh, but uh, what what are the other what what are the other five? I mentioned the students and refugees. What are the other five uh, groups of internationals here? Okay, international business people, mm -hmm. uh, all the way from people who are brought here to learn how to operate certain equipment that we have sold to their country, to Every country that we develop a military alliance with, military leaders from that country have to come and learn English. Mm -hmm. And there's a fabulous ministry that is adjunct to that school. And then, of course, after they've learned English, they're sent out to different cities around the country uh, for further uh, training and involvement. What an opportunity, because those people are at the doorstep of every church in America. Mm -hmm. So um, let's see, I got going on that. International business people, illegal aliens, oh my, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. numbers beyond comprehension. Yeah. Uh, international visitors, though they're here for just a brief time, what opportunities there are to minister the love of Christ to them. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I, let, let me tell one story that's just on my mind. Sure. Two Two international students from a Middle Eastern country, we'll leave it unnamed, sure. were visiting in America. They encountered some Christian men who befriended them and shared the love of Christ with them. 
they go back home determined to find out what this Christianity is all about. Mm. And so they walk into this church one Sunday morning, and of course it's a secret, uh, more secretive meeting, and the pastor was a little bit surprised and concerned that these two Muslim men walk into his church. And after the service, he asks them, why, what brought you here? And they tell that story, that while they were on vacation in America, Mm. these guys befriended them, and we just needed to check out what you're all about. Mm. Mm. So those guys, whoever they were, didn't even realize the impact they were having on these two Muslim young men. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. I have just written I have just written to that person, uh the pastor, uh to hear what the follow up might be. Mm. That's wonderful. Well we can all we all can play a role and that, that proves it that we all have a role to play as yeah. ambassadors for yeah. Jesus. That's fantastic. Mm. So let's see, who are the others? Um international students, business people, visitors, ethnic communities. And uh, one of the saddest ethnic communities is what our own government has done to what we, the people that we now call Native Americans. Mm-hmm. We have sequestered them onto, quote, reservations. Mm-hmm. And they're ethnic communities that are in need of the gospel as well as other ethnic communities. Um, then one that might not seem like an international, but we call them third culture kids. Mm-hmm. or citizens of the world. They are children of career missionaries who maybe were born here, but more probably not. Mm-hmm. They've lived in America maybe three years of their life, traveling around with their parents. And then at 18 years old, you're an American. Live like an American now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but But they aren't. They are internationals who live among us, and they're, they have their own special needs. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I think I got all seven there, didn't I? Yeah, I think so. Well, that's, that's <laughs> very interesting, and it's, and it's a good categorization, and it helps to, to, to provide a framework uh, for the discussion. And, uh, and, and I think probably a lot of what people don't think about when they think about internationals being here. So that's great and very helpful. What about um, you, you mentioned in your write-up about the book that the very doorstep of our homes is one of the most strategic foreign mission fields today. Talk to us about that. Why is it so, so strategic? Oh, my. Yes, they are. They're here. They're among us. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the, the reasons why it is so strategic, because they're close at hand. They have moved into our neighborhoods Mm-hmm. It's strategic because it represents the segment of our population with the most dramatic growth. Mm. Unfortunately, the culture before all the internationals came have diminished below the reproduction rate. I believe it's uh, every family has to have 2.1 children to maintain a culture. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we have fallen, I think it's to 1.8 mm-hmm. children per family. So the growth in America has come by the internationals who have moved in. Mm -hmm. And it is the most dramatic growth. uh, So that's why it's strategic. Mm. It doesn't cost the megabucks of going to another country. A lot of uh, people now are thinking, 
why are we spending all this money sending missionaries overseas? And, of course, uh, with them in our neighborhood, that isn't an issue. Mm -hmm. But then again, it is strategic because it is good training for those who will go to another country. Sure. There are many mission agencies now in their training. They're having them work among internationals in our own country before they send them off to another country. Mm -hmm. And it yields great effort, uh, great, great benefit from very little effort. And then um, they're open to the gospel mm. because they're the foreigners. They're, they're curious. They want to know, just like those two uh, international students that were visiting America. They, they're the foreign ones, and so they're open. They're at the disadvantage, and so this is why it is strategic. But probably most of all is because of what Scripture says. If I may quote Leviticus 19, do not take advantage of aliens in your land. Do not wrong them. Do them no harm. They must be treated like any other citizen. Love them as yourself. And then, of course, Jesus, many years later, affirmed that by saying the two greatest commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's strategic, in my opinion. Mm, absolutely. Well, and I've also heard it suggested that, and you probably heard this discussion as well, that, you know, especially for the international student, you know, we're, we have a situation where it's, it's, it's the Great Commission 360, as we sometimes like to say uh, in Crescent Project, that, in other words, students come here for a period of time, and if they are impacted with the gospel or by the gospel and then they return home, then they become missionaries to their home country. So it's it's uh, the Great Commission has almost been turned upside down in its head because they become uh, missionaries then if they are impacted by the gospel and become followers of Jesus and they can take that to their home country. Boy, that's the best way to, to send a missionary. So I think we can see that strategy uh, there as well. It's, it's very strategic, I think, uh, with the impact that we can have. So. Uh, another interesting story about them going back home as missionaries. Mm -hmm. I was doing a seminar in the central California area, uh, challenging this church to get more involved in cross-cultural outreach ministry. Mm -hmm. And the pastor was there, and I thought, oh, I'm glad many pastors don't have the time to uh, sit in on these seminars. But he was there, and then... Uh, after several hours, though, he was called out. I thought, okay, well, he was here for that. He came back later, and he was so discouraged, so discouraged. His church had an active ministry going in the housing project where the illegal alien field workers worked. Mm -hmm. And um, somebody in that housing project had been caught up in drugs, so the INS buses just hauled everybody back to Mexico. Oh, man. And he was so discouraged because he said, we had such a good Bible study going. So many of the people were trusting in Christ and they were being trained. I said, Pastor, you just sent out your first missionaries. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and that, that sort of brightened his attitude a little bit. But uh, yes, those who are impacted here, when they go back home, 
can have an impact. Mm, that's awesome. What a great story. Wow. We never know yeah. how things are going to turn out. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's wonderful. Well, can you give us a sense of, you know, the scope of international people living here? I mean, what, what kind of demographics are we talking about? You know, do you, do you get a, do you have oh, a sense of that? Yeah. Yeah. The numbers are overwhelming. Uh, you know, can we even comprehend a million international students in our schools? Mm. Uh, it is an overwhelming number. And, um, of course, the San Diego Zoo, I don't know if uh, other zoos around the country, but 40,000 internationals go through the San Diego Zoo doorway each day. Whoa. Uh, just visitors, 40,000 are here every day going through illegal aliens. You know, we have the news of um, another 40,000 young people who came to our southern border without their parents. Yeah. And our president has just allowed them in. Mm-hmm. Uh, refugees. This last Sunday, I was privileged to be given a few minutes at my church to talk about Refugee mm-hmm. Month. And it is it is just unbelievable. There are 45.2 million people somewhere in this world who either made the decision or somebody else made the decision for them to get up and leave everything. Mm. Mm. And the tragedy is, as we look at the pictures of all those refugee camps that are set up in uh, Lebanon and in Jordan for those fleeing from Syria, mm-hmm. and now the ISIL and just that whole mess that's going on over there. Yep. As we look at those, Statistically, only one and a half percent will return home, and only one and a half percent will be able to be relocated to another country to start their life over again. Oh my goodness. Meaning that 97 percent of those people who are in those refugee camps will live and die there. Oh my. It, it is a tragedy beyond our comprehension. Oh, my. I didn't know it was that yeah. bad. Oh, that's yeah. staggering. That is yeah. staggering. Oh, my. And so it is good that 72,000 were relocated into the United States last year mm-hmm. in 2013. Mm. But that's still only part of that 1.2% that were relocated here. Canada, Australia is another major relocating country. Okay. Um yeah, wow. tragedy, sorrow beyond comprehension. Mm. Well, and 70,000 70, uh, doesn't sound like a very large number when you consider uh, the 42 million. 45. Said, uh, 45 yeah. million, wow. Yeah. And and a lot of these are displaced by war, right? War and uh, 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 violence and uh, just, I guess, uh, uh, persecution, I guess, for, for, for religious beliefs, maybe, uh, right. and various things, poverty, maybe in many cases. Um, wow. That's, uh, yeah, that's stunning. I think a lot of people in this country would be, uh, would be shocked to hear those, uh, those figures. Yeah. Do you have a sense of, of, of the, the, maybe the most, where are the most people coming from? Is there any, any country more than another where, where most of the people are coming from, or is it, is it very, is it diverse, mostly diverse? It's quite diverse, though we are getting a greater influx from the Middle East right now. Um, but as long as we're talking about the, the illegals, 
a lot of people think, well, yeah, it's those Mexicans coming across the border from the south, but the largest segment of illegal illegals in America are those who came on a visa and just never went home. Hmm. Hmm. We have a good open-door policy of letting people come in, but we have no way to check the back door to see if they actually left when mm. their visa was over. I see. When their visa expired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, oh my, the 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 factors involved in all of this um, uh, could overwhelm a person. But the nature of the book isn't to overwhelm anyone with statistics. It is to identify these seven groups, mm-hmm. and as the Lord would lead a person into one or another of the seven, giving them practical ideas of how to minister the love of Christ to those people. Mm, that's great. That's awesome. Well, that's, yeah. that, that's a very good uh, that's a segue to my next question, which was, you know, what do you what do you hope to accomplish with the book? You know, with that in mind, mobilize the church <laughs> mm, mm. to get involved, as the subtitle says, sure, to do world missions at home. Sure. Absolutely. Um, mm, mm. Well, um, what can you say? I mean, when you think about the various groups, I mean, you mentioned those seven groups. Uh, why is it? I mean, what, what do you think um, if a church is interested? What, what would you say? I mean, what, you know, if they if they want to be interested to, to reach some of these groups. And I've, I've mentioned the students and the refugees, uh, some of these other groups that are in the areas. Um, what can you say to the, to some of the listeners out there who might be interested in, in doing and engaging in some of these people groups? Let's take, for instance, maybe an international student or, or, or a refugee. Right. How could they get involved with that? Yeah, the opportunities are from, from as simple as meeting an international student at the airport mm-hmm. and taking them from the airport to the people at the university who will get them set up in their dorm. Mm-hmm. something as simple as that all the way to hosting them and the hosting of international students is critical for Christians a friend of ours if I may tell this story sure a friend of ours uh, works for one of these agencies that finds homes for international students mm-hmm. and she is repulsed by having to work with this organization and yet she continues to work with it because the repulsion comes from the fact that the director is a lesbian mm. and she is trying to find those kinds of homes for the international students. And so this Christian friend says, I have to stay there to make an effort to find Christian homes for these kids. Mm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, there's... Um certainly a lot of opportunity it seems like it seems uh very simple i i am uh i know that one of the things that at crescent project we're trying to put more emphasis on that we're working on is a is a new initiative to equip and train and empower uh the the students on campus uh with reaching out to international students and i know that's a, that's a new area of, of focus for us and we recognize the, the the opportunity to go and to to be that first um uh, impression of of Americans and American Christians when they go pick them up at the airport, or they help them with mm-hmm. their homework, or they help them get settled with a car or with a, with a dorm room or whatever. So it just seems to be very very uh, straightforward. 
Well, let's uh, let's do this, Neil. Um, let's go. Let's carry over to a second segment. So what we'll do is uh, close out this first one here, and uh, I'm going to say a, a, a brief prayer to close this segment out, and then we'll come back with you uh, to do another segment and to continue the conversation. Uh, so, Lord, thank you so much for uh, this opportunity to discuss this important opportunity for the church to reach out to internationals, whether they're refugees or students or legal aliens or uh, visitors. Lord, we just pray that uh, this broadcast will inspire and empower people out there to be involved, to get engaged, and to learn about how they can reach out to uh, the many, many internationals around us. So we just uh, lift that up to you and and ask that you uh, be at work uh, in our midst in this area. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And welcome to Crescent Project Radio. We're coming back on the show with Neil Parolo, who is a longtime educator and ordained minister, a cross-culture minister leader of over 40 years. He's written a number of books and essays and articles, and we're talking about his latest book on the show today as a second segment, Internationals Who Live Among Us, Doing World Missions at Home. And uh, he is basically a a mobilizer of the church to be in ministry to uh, people from all over the world that are here, internationals among us. And so we've been talking about that a little bit in in the first segment, and we want to get back to that and continue the conversation about engaging the church and what's happening today uh, in this area. So, um... Neil, let's pick back up on our conversation. Uh, welcome back. I uh, appreciate you coming back with us today. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, talk about, uh, we were talking about earlier uh, the, engaging the church and, and, and um, talking with them about the, the seven groups that are out there that are in the international community and uh, trying to get the church engaged. What do you think, um, and my sense is that a lot of the church, a lot of the body of Christ is not really uh, that engage. So talk to us about what, what's the what's the most common response from the church, you know, when, when you approach them and say, hey, this is what's going on here, the trends here, the needs. How, how do they typically respond to, to that uh, question? Uh, yes, there are some churches that are tremendously involved and engaged. Uh, one church here in the San Diego area bought a whole shopping center. Hmm. So you can imagine that it was a fairly sizable church to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, It was empty. All the storefronts were empty. But they bought this whole shopping center, and each of the buildings in that shopping center is a church Mm. of these different ethnic groups that are living among us. Mm. And um, he was telling me about uh, one church that um, uh, they were using the Burmese language, but because some of the um, one of the people groups from Burma did not know Burmese nor English, and so they had to have a translator from English into Burmese, and then another translation from Burmese into this uh, tribal language. Mm. But um, wow. I said, "Do you have those people?" He says, "Oh yes, we look for them, we find them, and uh, these churches are thriving." So there are some who have just really gone full into ministering to the internationals who live among us. Mm, That's great. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the majority of the churches ignore the potential of ministering to them. Mm. I'm thinking back to the church at Antioch. In Acts 11, it says that when uh, they were, when the Christians of Jerusalem were dispersed, they went as far as Antioch, preaching to the Jews only. And then the next verse says that some others came from Cyprus and Cyrene, 
and they began preaching cross-culturally. And then a year later, or sometime later, the Church of Jerusalem sends Barnabas up there, check it out, then he goes over and gets Saul from Tarsus, and they minister for about a year. Then chapter 13 comes up with the vision to go beyond, and it's interesting that the five people that they put forward are each from a different nationality, Mm, mm. each from a different ethnic nation. So not only did that church in Antioch receive these internationals into their church, but they brought them into places of leadership within the church, Mm. because it says there were these five men who were preaching and teaching at the church at Antioch. Mm. And so that is the challenge that is before the church today, not only say, okay, come in if you have to come in, sit here on the floor, you know, because you probably don't have any money, like James says in chapter 2, those who make distinctions and say to the rich man, here's a nice seat, and Mm -hmm. to the poor person, sit on the floor. Mm. But the church that allows these internationals to be raised up into places of leadership within the church, that would certainly be the goal Mm. as we are trying to mobilize the church to get involved with the internationals who live among us. Mm. Mm. Well, it it is disappointing to hear, and it's just... it's. Really, it's crushing to hear that you're saying the majority of the churches just don't uh, don't engage and, and, and are not taking advantage of this opportunity. It just it baffles me because it is biblical. It's all over the Bible. I mean, uh, you, we can point to a number of different, number of different places where uh, it's clear that uh, we need to be uh, reaching uh, people from all walks of life, from all uh, nations and tribes and tongues. And, of course, Revelation says that, that that's what uh, it'll look like. We'll have someone yeah. from every different uh, nation, tribe, and tongue. So, And, of course, at Pentecost, we had uh, languages spoken from all over. And, and, and of course, the <laughs> last one mentioned is, is Arabic, right? So, And a lot of people... Um, uh, are surprised to hear that, but what 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 can we do? I mean, I think that's the crux of the matter here. You know, is is how can we get the church more involved and engaged uh, to not miss this opportunity? What what do you, what is your sense of that? Well, uh, certainly, as the book is read and the Holy Spirit challenges people within the church, the church can't do anything. It's the people. <laughs> who are the church, right? and it says people are challenged and motivated and will obey the sense of direction by the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. that the church will be mobilized. But one thing that um, we are able to do through our ministry is uh, seminars. And so a couple of weeks ago, I did a seminar for a rather large church here in Southern California, Mm -hmm. and um, they were just blown away. They were just amazed as I started sharing the statistics about these different groups, but then also the practical ways that they can get engaged intentionally. Now, in every ministry, in every outreach ministry of a church, you're going to run into internationals by accident. Mm -hmm. But what we are advocating is where the church will intentionally, deliberately engage with one or another of these seven groups of internationals. So I was doing this seminar, and um, on the break, you know, the different ones came up and said, I just didn't realize, I just didn't realize. Mm -hmm. And so awareness is the first step. Mm -hmm. The church needs to be aware that these people are here, and they're not going anywhere, Right. and they are in need of a Savior. Mm -hmm. And um, at that seminar, uh, we interspersed it with a number of interviews with uh, different people from these categories. And so one lady who's lived here for quite a while now, 
But uh, she told how she and her family escaped in Uganda from mm. the reign of terror of Idi Amin. Mm. She was working directly for him. And so she had a government house. And yet she had to, she and her husband and had to just silently uh, make arrangements. And one night they left with two suitcases, mm. never to return. Wow. And um, eventually got over here to America. When, when people hear real stories of real live people who have gone through, and I, I didn't even share the details that she shared of, of that night of terror. Mm. And um, then, then I had suggested to the missions pastor, just go out on the street and find an illegal alien. Well, he didn't, but he has an illegal alien in his church <laughs> who is married to an American. They have an American baby. But he is illegal because he came when he was four years old with his illegal parents. Mm -hmm. They never got legal status. And so he, the best they say we can do for you, go back to your home country for 10 years and then apply and we might let you in. Mm. <laughs> Leaving his American wife and child here. Right. And um, he mm. was pretty upset, needless to say, and, and he just got going about you... Republican Christians who don't give a care about uh, immigration reform. And um, mm. he was obviously very upset. I won't say all that he said. It's not sure. suitable. Sure. But um, the missions pastor who was standing up there next to him, I had gone to sit down. He kept signaling to me, do you want me to cut him off? Do you want me to cut him off? And I kept motioning, no, no, let him go. Mm -hmm. And he went on for about 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Afterwards, I told the missions pastor, the reason I didn't want you to cut them off is because if somebody is going to work with people who are here illegally, they need to understand that this is the type of thing they are going to have to work with. Yeah. And so this, it's not an easy ministry. Right, right. Uh, to intentionally cross the cultural distinctives and enter their homes. And if they're serving the food on the floor, on a, on a, palate that they put out and there is one serving bowl and there are some uh, bread pieces and you're going to pick off a piece of bread and dip into that serving bowl and take it to your mouth. Uh, you know, some people might say, whoa, I don't know that I can do that. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So there, there is a learning curve yeah. if you're going to truly reach out to these people. Yeah. Well, I think you bring up some good points there by sharing that story. And I think that maybe the challenge for us as Christians is to remember uh, the, the, the larger picture here, the, the, the eternal picture here, uh, the kingdom perspective. In other words, we, are, hmm. we have to remember that we are uh, citizens of, of God's kingdom. Uh, first and foremost, and then, uh, of course, citizens of this country. Not that the laws don't matter. The laws do matter. It's obviously important to enforce the law. And, and, and you know, immigration is a very complex issue. We won't get into that. But but the point is, is that I guess if Christians could have the the the, uh, the long-term eternal perspective, then maybe we can have a better heart to try to reach out to these folks. And regardless of, of, of their status, understand that they need the gospel just like everybody else. And that at the end Absolutely. of the day, you know, at the end of the day, What's most important is that they know Jesus and that they get a chance to hear the gospel and then everything else will be sorted out at, in the end. I mean, it, it's uh, and, and it's hard. I know that you said it's difficult. It is difficult for people to look past those things and to not be upset about uh, the, the things that have happened and the way the uh, things have come down with, with this issue. But, um, you know, the church 
I guess the church can choose to be involved or not. And and t- for me, it just seems to me that it only makes sense to be involved, especially if you're concerned about that issue. Because you know, if if there are folks who are here illegally and we can share the gospel with them and they become uh, transformed by the gospel, then they're much more likely to be uh, good, productive citizens anyway. And 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 you know, and and doing good things, whereas maybe they weren't before. So anyway, uh, we could go, <laughs> I guess, a long time on that topic, but mm-hmm. but but certainly it's important to discuss, and I appreciate uh, hearing about that because uh, uh, it is important to to deal with it honestly. Well, share with us, um, it's, it's, back to your book a little bit, share with us uh, just some stories, uh, some of your favorite stories from your book uh, that you might want to uh, point out to, to the listeners today. Yeah, one is very personal because it happened to my wife and myself. We were at the beach watching the sea lions and the sun setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had an international friend with us who was visiting us at the time from England. And as we were watching the sunset, a lady from across the pathway approached me and said, what is the name of these birds? And I went across the pathway and taught her children how to say seagull, mm. seagull. <laughs> and feeling satisfied, I came back to watch the sunset. But my wife felt impressed to go back and talk to her and ask her. Um, she built some rapport first and then said, have you ever been in an American home? She had been here almost a month on vacation with her two children mm. and had never been in an American home. And so, of course, we invited her over and um, had a meal. She had never seen such a huge Idaho potato. <laughs> and we, we had baked potatoes. And uh, her son, I think, was about seven years old, and he couldn't eat all of his, so I cut his in half, and it was sitting on his plate. And when she finished hers, she says, uh, would it be rude if I ate my son's other half? <laughs> it was it was humorous. But through that process of just bowing her heads, and we said, we'd like to hold hands while we pray. So she courteously, though she's from an atheistic country, uh, agreed to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, as the conversation um, progressed, we introduced her to a Chinese church in the neighborhood and gave her the pastor's phone number. And she contacted him and went to church there. And he gave her some churches in her hometown back in China. And again, we don't know the follow-up of it. Eternity will tell. Mm-hmm. But just befriending a visitor who had never been in an American home, though she'd been here for almost a whole month, mm-hmm. um, gave us that opportunity to share the love of Jesus uh, over a meal of baked potatoes and meatloaf, I think we had. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And, and it's it's so easy, too. I mean, you guys just took the initiative to be kind and to show Christian hospitality. And uh, that's a wonderful thing. It seems to me, Neil, uh, what do you think, uh, that we has, have somehow lost a sense of that Christian hospitality here in this country? Is that, do you think, what do you think about that? Ouch. <laughs> yeah, you hit you hit sore spots. Yes, yeah. unfortunately. Um I I put it in this term. We are no longer one nation, indivisible with liberty and justice for all, but we have become a country of nations, mm-hmm. a country of ethnic groups. Mm-hmm. And as the minority ethnic groups have risen up to demand their rights, those who had melted into the pot, mm-hmm. are wanting to rise up and say, but wait a minute, what about me? 
I am an Italian German. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've got my rights too. Mm-hmm. And um, in doing that, it has brought a terrible division within our country. Mm-hmm. And that then produces this, well, I don't, I'm not interested in you. I'm not going to care for you. I've got my rights. I'm concerned about myself and my kind. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it is It is tragic and unfortunately it has permeated the church. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Wow. Well, and, and you've been doing this. I mean, you said, uh, we talked earlier that you, you've been at this for a long time. I mean, you at over 40 years uh, of, of ministering, equipping, and uh, working in this area of trying to um, uh, train and equip the church and mobilize the church to, to reach out cross-culturally. What can you, looking back over the course of your time, you know, doing this, what, what trends have you seen? You, you know, what's different now uh, than, than maybe when you first got started? A very positive trend has been that the church at large has reawakened to the Great Commission. Mm. Uh, that might sound strange in light of some of the negative things we've been saying. Sure. But in a broad stroke picture, mm-hmm. um, I wrote uh, an essay some time ago titled it The Great Divorce. Mm. And it went back to 1792 or 1794 when William Carey was given an opportunity to talk to a group of church people in England. And halfway through his impassioned appeal to reach out to the world, the director said, sit down, young man. If God wants to save the heathen, he'll do it without your help or ours. Mm. And I believe at that moment, the church at large divorced itself from the Great Commission. Wow. And so I wrote this essay about it. Mm-hmm. But then a number of years later, I did an addendum to it titled The Painful Reconciliation. Mm. And just like within a husband-wife divorce, when the offending spouse wants to come back, the faithful spouse says, where would you fit in? Mm-hmm. We have built up structures to accommodate the fact that you left. Mm. And that same thing is happening within the mission agencies today. The church, the offending spouse, is wanting to come back. But the mission agency has set up structures to accommodate the fact that the church left. Wow. And so it is a very painful reconciliation. Mm-hmm. But again, the positive side is more and more mission agencies are saying, church, come on back. Mm-hmm. I was um, called by a gentleman whom I had befriended years before as a missionary, and now he was working at the headquarters. And he says, Neil, they just gave me a new title, church relations. But what do I do? They didn't give me a job description. Wow. And I said, well, let's start here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mm. Caring for missionaries, that is a responsibility that can be better handled by the church and people in the church than by the mission agency. Mm-hmm. So at their next training, they had me come and do a Serving Ascender seminar from our book and brought the 17 senior pastors of the 17 sending churches. And um, <clears throat> the day after doing the seminar, I had a meeting just with the pastors I said, now, pastors, I don't want a single one of you telling me this won't work in your church. Uh, I said it more kindly than that sounds. Sure. But um, I said, pastor, this mission agency is relinquishing the lion's share of member care to you. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to find a way to make it work in your church. Mm. And so Mm. uh, that it is a painful reconciliation. 
but it is happening. Wow. And so that, I believe, is a very bright trend over the last bunch of years. Sure it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's fascinating to hear that, and it's encouraging to hear that, uh, because that's an interesting divide there that you bring that you bring up. And I think a lot of people may not realize that. They may not realize that the reason that a lot of these agencies exist in the first place is because of that of that divorce that you mentioned that happened so so long ago, uh, and that and that the Great Commission was just not being carried out by the church at large. So, well, that's uh, man, that's interesting, very interesting. Well, uh, back to the book. Uh, what um, what kind of feedback have you gotten so far with the, with the book, and has it been received well? And tell us about that. Uh, it is being received well. I. I don't have real stats on it. Uh, we still have a few thousand of them here for anyone who wants to purchase one through our sure. website, which is simply eri.org, or through the Crescent Project. You have them there available on your website. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as people read it, they will be challenged. And if they are challenged correctly, they will respond to the Holy Spirit directing them into ministry in one or another of these areas. Um, The response from that church where I did the seminar was very positive. Mm. Uh, They all bought a copy of the book and said, we will will do it. We'll get engaged. Mm. So that's awesome. Well, that's wonderful to hear. And certainly we hope that that is uh, replicated across the country and, 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 uh, and, and the communities around where we need to be mobilizing to reach internationals. Uh, That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's great. And he's, yeah, as Neil mentioned, you can find uh, the book of the month for Crescent Project, uh, which is Neil's book, uh, on our website. It's crescentproject.org, and it's Internationals Who Live Among Us, Doing World Missions at Home by Neil Parolo. So that's wonderful. Uh, Neil, we uh, we appreciate you so much. Anything else you want to – we're going to wrap up here and, and uh, kind of close out, but is there anything else that you wanted to, to, to mention? Time for another story. Sure, yeah, we got just about a minute and a half, so let it... Oh, my, I'll make it quick. Okay. Um, A friend of ours in Beijing, China, called me and said, a golfer, young person, is coming to play golf. And I told his dad that there's a place for him to stay if he will go to church with you. (laughs) So (laughs) father and son came to live with us while the son was playing golf here. And we took him to church. And um, also, uh, while they were here, once at a mealtime, uh, another friend of ours who had decided to walk from the border to his home about 40 miles away. He had just spent two nights in uh, underpasses or, or cars go over, you know, and mm-hmm. sleeping in the gutter, looking in uh, bins behind restaurants for food. Plus, his hair was in those awful dreadlocks. Oh, and he walked in and said, I'm tired and hungry. And here, here this Chinese father and son are sitting there. Anyway, had a meal, went to the church. The father went back home and trusted in Christ as Savior. Mm, mm. And I'm sure that it was partly how we treated that other friend of ours who walked in and said, sure, come on in, Corey. We've got a meal for you, too. Mm, So mm. there are just so many different ways that we can get engaged. Let's do it, people. Mm, Amen. Amen. What a wonderful picture. Uh, that's a, that's a great, uh, and, and uh, thank you for sharing that. That's a wonderful way to end the, the talk today. <laughs> it's a great picture of what we need to be doing and a wonderful picture of Christian hospitality for sure. So thank you, Neil. Would you, uh, would you close us in prayer? I would like to close in prayer. And even as Paul went to Mars Hill, he said, and he has made from one blood 
every nation, ethnos of men. Mm. Father, in your creativity, you have made from one blood every ethnos of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And you have determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek you, Lord, and in the hope that they might find you, though you are not far from any one of us. Thank you, Father, Mm. for sending your Son to allow us to have a right relationship with you, Mm -hmm. drawn by your Holy Spirit. I do pray, Lord, for those who have listened to this, that they will be challenged to realize that we are all made from one blood, Mm. every person on this earth from one blood, and that you have determined where they are to live. And so those who are living among us, Lord, may we be challenged to reach out intentionally to those internationals who are living among us Mm. so that we may do world missions here at home. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. And once again, this is The Crescent Project, bringing you powerful teaching, testimony, and truth about God's miraculous movement in the Muslim world and how we as Christians can join him in his kingdom work. I'm Matt Bonner, and I serve as a regional director with The Crescent Project, a national Christian ministry focused on equipping the church to share the gospel with Muslims. We believe we have a hope worth sharing. You can find us online at crescentproject.org. We hope you join us again next time on The Crescent Project.